Today's scripture reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 18 through 38. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then, after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Before we consider God's word together, let's pray and let's ask for his mercy and grace. Father, we have just heard... The word of the Lord read to us. We've responded with one voice, thanks be to God. And we pray now that by your spirit we would have ears to hear it. And so with your servant Samuel long ago, we say, speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. We're continuing in our series in John's Gospel this morning, and we're returning to John chapter 13. 
And I mentioned last week that we're now entering into a section of the gospel where John slows down the narrative. He's reported many things that Jesus has done, many things that Jesus has said. These things have taken place over many months, perhaps even three years. But now over these next five chapters, he's going to slow down and he's going to report to us what happened and what Jesus said in the manner, in a time span of just a few hours at the Last Supper. And in this section of the gospel, we see the love of God on display. And we hear the voice of the Lord Jesus speaking to us and calling us into his love. Remember how John begins this account. Verse 1, chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, there's two things that we take note of here. First of all, he's departing. He's leaving. He's going out of the world. He's returning to the Father. But his disciples will remain in the world. And in fact, Jesus is sending them into the world. We are in the world. Our Lord has sent us into the world. And he will warn his disciples that the world is a place of hatred. It's a place of persecution. It's a place of tribulation. It's a place where you will be tempted to fall away. But he also promises that I will send you another comforter, the spirit of truth. The spirit will come. The Father will send him. The spirit will guide you. The spirit will guard you. The spirit will keep you in my love. The spirit will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. And John begins this account by saying, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And we see in chapter 13, and as we read on, we'll see that this is the great theme of this section, the love of Jesus for his disciples, the love of Jesus for his followers. And there's a wonderful little detail that John gives us. He refers to himself, he's the gospel writer, he refers to himself in verse 23 as the beloved disciple. I'm the one who thought he was, he was reclining at table at Jesus' side. And that term, the side, appears in only one other place in the gospel, and it's at the very beginning of the gospel. John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, John says. So the Son has come to make known the Father, to make known the heart of the Father, the love of the Father. And now John tells us that he's the beloved disciple and he's resting at the heart of Jesus. He's the one that reveals the love of the Son. And as we know the love of the Son, we know the love of the Father. And especially in this section of the gospel, it's the heart of the gospel. And what is made known to us is the Son and the love of the Son. And we'll consider that this morning, the love of the Son. And the implications of that is glorious. But before we consider that love, we need to confront the darkness of this text. Because this text confronts us with Judas, confronts us with the betrayal of Judas. Now, Judas knew the love of of Jesus. He received the love of Jesus. Jesus' love heart was hardened. And there's a very chilling statement that John makes. That Judas went out, and then he says, and it was. 
And we need to confront the darkness of that night. The darkness into which Judas went. The darkness of his betrayal, of his apostasy. The darkness of his eternal damnation. And it's a darkness that we need to confront because it's not a distant darkness and it's not a hypothetical darkness. It is a real darkness and it's close. So yes, we will come into and, and this passage invites us into the glorious light of the love of Christ, but we also need to confront the darkness. So we're faced with Judas, one of the twelve. Judas had been called by Jesus. Jesus called him. Judas had served with him for three years, day and night, living with Jesus, walking with Jesus. We're told that the disciples were reclining at table, and it's helpful to be aware of how people ate at that time. I presume that most of us have a dinner table. We've got chairs. We sit at the table. Now, some of you may come from other cultural backgrounds where you don't sit at a table. You, you recline, as the disciples here reclined. But it doesn't say they sat at table, they reclined. And the table was very, very low to the ground. And the disciples would have been lying down on the ground facing the table. And usually you would, you would lean on your left hand and you would eat with your right hand. Now, we're told that John, the beloved disciple, is at Jesus' side. And at one point in the dinner, he leans back against Jesus and asks him a question. So he's on the right of Jesus. He leans back to Jesus. He asks him a question. But then we're told that Jesus gave Judas the morsel of bread. That probably means that Judas was on the other side. He's right beside Jesus. Now John tells us what happened. After Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, he resumed his place, and his heart is troubled. We pick it up in verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. That's important. Judas wasn't obviously the betrayer. When Jesus made that announcement, everyone didn't think to themselves, Oh, it's Judas. We know it's Judas. So he wasn't obviously the betrayer. There wasn't anything about him that that revealed him to be one, the one who would betray him. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Presumably, Judas, or Peter is sitting across the table. So he makes a motion to John. John, ask him, who is it? So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Now, we might imagine him whispering that question, you know, quietly asking him. Because it's clear in what happens that after this that the disciples don't know why Judas is going out. So it seems that what we're reading here is a conversation that only John and Judas heard. Jesus is in the middle, John on one side, Judas on the other. Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. There's Jesus holding a piece of bread. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, 
the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Now John tells us that Jesus was deeply troubled in his spirit. And he was deeply troubled in his spirit because of Judas. And because he loved Judas. He had called Judas. And think of all of the time that he had spent with Judas, teaching him, praying for him, praying with him. We can imagine many times of just one-on-one conversation with Judas. And then at this meal, he has just washed the feet of Judas. And then he takes that morsel of bread. Now, it's a morsel. It's a piece. It's a piece that's been broken. He took bread. He broke it. He gave it. He dipped it. There's wine. And he gave it to Judas. There's a very clear echo of what we read in Ruth chapter 2. When Boaz invites Ruth to his dinner table. And Boaz is a type of Christ. And he invites Ruth to come and eat at his table. And he, he, he says, come and take a morsel of bread. Dip it in my cup. Take my bread dipped in wine. That's what Boaz says to Ruth. And it's a sign of love. It's a sign of friendship. It's a sign of intimate fellowship. So Judas has been given a place right beside Jesus. Jesus has washed his feet. Jesus has just given him this morsel of bread dipped in wine. All of these things are a sign of Jesus' love for Judas. And there's a sense where Jesus is, is pleading with Judas to repent, to turn back to him. But Judas's heart is hard to the love of Christ. He refuses his love. He goes out and it was night. Satan enters him and he goes out and it was night. He's lost. Now the New Testament doesn't say too much about Judas in terms of why he fell away. What's the reason for his apostasy? What's the reason for his betrayal? Why is it that he fell away? And we need to be careful not to speculate about this. But we should pay attention to what John himself tells us about Judas. So in John 12, chapter 6, and John reminds us of this in this chapter. He reminds us that Judas had charge of the money bag. And Jesus had entrusted him with that, with the finances of the disciples. He'd given him the money bag. We're reminded of that here. He had the money bag. But in John 12, verse 6, we're told that he used to steal from the money bag. So we know that about Judas. He's a thief. Now, none of the disciples knew this about him, not till afterwards. So Judas had a secret sin, an unconfessed sin. And his heart was turning towards money, starting to serve another master. But also in John chapter 12, he's the one who stands up and rebukes Mary for anointing Jesus' feet. He accuses her. And there we see that his heart isn't only turned after money, it's turned against his brothers and sisters. It's turned against the others that are with Jesus. And he accuses her. Just as Satan is the accuser, so Judas accuses. And then at the beginning of John 13, we're told that the devil had put it in his heart to betray Jesus. 
And we see this descent. He has a secret sin, an unconfessed sin. And his heart is turned towards money. He's starting to serve another master. And then his heart is turned against others. It's turned against the other followers of Jesus. And then finally, Satan puts it in his heart to betray Jesus. His heart finally turns against Jesus himself. And in verse 27, we read that Satan entered him. He's possessed. He's lost. It was night. Now, we can consider the case of Judas, and we say, well, this is very unique. Judas is unique. But he's not. And the darkness of that night is not some distant darkness. It's not some hypothetical darkness. It's a very real darkness, and it's a very near darkness. And consider what we see in the life of Judas. A secret sin. An unconfessed sin. Do you have a secret sin in your life? An unconfessed And then we see in Judas turning against Mary the way he does. Is your heart turned against your brothers and sisters or a brother and sister in the church? Is there resentment in your heart? Do you find an accusatory spirit in your heart, a judgmental spirit in your heart towards others? And as as Judas lived with that unconfessed sin, and as it took root in his heart, And as it turned him away, and as it turned him against others, it soon turned him against the Lord Jesus himself. And it will turn you against the Lord Jesus. He's not the only one to leave. And think of what we see in this very chapter itself. Judas sitting at table with Jesus. Judas having been washed. Maybe you've been baptized. Jesus taking bread breaking it, dipping it in wine, giving it to Judas. Maybe you come to the Lord's table Sunday by Sunday. And yet there's that secret sin. And yet you start to harbor resentment against a brother or sister. That will soon turn your heart against Christ himself and you will raise your heel against him. And you will leave. And you will find that you are lost forever in outer darkness. And Judas is not alone. Listen to the warning of Hebrews chapter 6. And let me say, this is not a hypothetical warning. This is a real warning. It's not hypothetical. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Harm and holding him up to contempt. Now Judas did weep for what he had done. He wept. But he didn't repent. He didn't turn back to Christ. He was lost. And if you're here today and you have that secret sin, or you find that there's that resentment, towards a brother or sister in the church. And you don't repent today. You, find, you may find tomorrow Satan has entered you and you are forever lost in the darkness.
So we need to confront the darkness of this text. But the light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. We, we hear and we see on display here the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you have that unconfessed sin, that secret sin, or you find that there's that, that bitterness in your heart, turn to him today. Turn to him now. And enter into the love that is on display in this text. Immediately after Judas goes out, this is what our Lord says. There's darkness, it was night, and then we have glory in the very next verse. 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Glory, 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 glory. Now, the glory of John's gospel is most clearly on display in the, in the cross of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ. Now is the time. Now is the moment. Yes, it was night. But now the light is shining brightly. Little children, yet a little while while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Our Lord is going out into that darkness himself. Our Lord is going out into that night himself. And he's saying to the disciples, I'm going there alone. I'm going to the cross alone. You cannot come with me. I'm going to the grave alone. You cannot come with me. But then he says this in verse 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. As we consider the cross, the cross is, is like a diamond. And I was talking to someone recently about diamonds, about engagement rings. And I remember doing research on diamonds when I was buying an engagement ring for Megan. I was fascinated by what there was to know about diamonds. As far as I was concerned when I started out this research, you just need, you know, a big one. A big diamond, that's, that's the goal. But then I did some research, and it's like, well, size, yes, is a factor. That's, a, that's one of the criterion, but there's other things to consider. You need to consider the color of the diamond. You need to consider the clarity of the diamond. You need to consider the cut of the diamond. And if you have a diamond that's clear, and you have a diamond that's well cut, it may be a little bit smaller, but that diamond is going to sparkle. That's what you're after, the sparkle. And there is a sense where as we reflect on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is like a diamond. It radiates with the glory of God, with the light of God. And so there are many aspects of the cross that, that, that we ought to meditate upon. But the aspect of the cross that comes through here, and the glory that's revealed in the cross, is the glory of the love of God. As I have loved you, you ought to love one another. And remember what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. What we see on display in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ in his crucifixion is the love of God for sinners. Now Judas was a sinner. Peter was a sinner. Judas refused the love of Christ. 
But Peter received the love of Christ. And the love of God for sinners is on display in this passage. And the love of God for sinners is offered to you today. I'm a sinner. God demonstrated his love for me in this. That when I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And here our Lord says, if you know that love, if you have received that love, then you ought to love one another. He says, a new commandment that I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. Now notice even how he's articulated that commandment. Just look at that verse, verse 34. He says, you ought to love one another. And then he says it again, you ought to love one another. But in between that double commandment, love one another, love one another, it says in the very middle, just as I have loved you. And even the way that he's phrased the commandment tells us that the heart of the commandment is his love for of Jesus. Just, just be like Jesus. Go do what Jesus did. That's not, that's not the heart of this commandment. The heart of the commandment is, as I have loved you, as you know my love, as you receive my love, as you abide in my love, so love one another. Now, we may have a temptation, and, and we can even see this in Peter. All right, I'm on it. I'll go do it. I'm going to go love. I'm going to love like you love. But the love that we have for one another and the love that he commands us, and this is why it's a new commandment, is grounded upon and it flows from his love for us. And only as we know his love and abide in his love can we then love one another. And so we have here the reminder that we are to abide in the love of Christ, remain in the love of Christ. And even in this chapter itself, we see how we do that. How is it that we abide in the love of Christ? Well, first we abide in his word. The Lord Jesus is the Son of God who reveals the heart of the Father, who makes the love of of the Father known. But then John the evangelist is the one who is resting at the side of Jesus. And he has written us this gospel. And the gospel shows us the heart of the Son, and it reveals to us the love of God. And in fact, all of Scripture is a word of love to us. If we are to know the love of God and abide in the love of God, We need to be abiding in his word, listening to his word, reading his word, studying his word. But then notice what else we've seen in this chapter. Jesus taking bread, breaking it, giving a morsel dipped in wine to Judas. That was an expression of his love. And that's why Sunday by Sunday we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we come to the Lord's table. And we don't want to miss the Lord's table because here again we receive the bread and the wine. And when we receive the bread and the wine, we are receiving and we are abiding in the love of the Son and the love of Christ. But also we abide in the love of Christ and the love of God through our love for one another. And so we see a reciprocal relationship here. As we are abiding in the love of God, we can't help but love one another. And as we are loving one another, my love for you is actually an expression of the love of Christ for you. His love flowing through me to you and your love for us. 
And maybe I'll just take a moment here just to say the letters that you wrote for us, elders, the letters that we received last week. I was meditating on this, thinking about, I was reading the letters, but also thinking about the significance of the letters themselves. And I marvel at God's providence because we had just considered a passage of Scripture which exhorts us to wash one another's feet. And as we saw last week, one of the ways that we wash one another's feet is by washing one another with the word and with prayer. And you as a congregation, in response to that sermon, washed our feet, the feet of your elders and pastors, with, with the word and scripture in those letters. And I want you to know that we, we, we were affirmed in the love of Christ through your letters. So one of the ways that we abide in the love of Christ is by our love for one another. And the more we love one another, the more we grow in the love of God, the love of Christ. And so as I have loved you, so you love one another. This is the new commandment. Now, this love isn't sentimental. It's not just warm, fuzzy feelings. And John, in his first letter, and you should really read the whole letter, because that's an exposition of what it means to love one another. But in the middle of that letter, he says this, 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Yes, the love of God is manifest in the cross of Christ. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It's not sentimental, it's sacrificial. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, notice that phrase, little children. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And that's how we love one another. Not just in word and talk, but in deed and in truth. And this goes back to what we considered last week. It means washing one another's feet. It means stooping down. It means bearing one another's burden. It means entering into one another's trials and struggles. It's not just saying, you know, hey, here here you're going through a hard time. Well, the Lord be with you. No, it means entering into and, and, and walking alongside the person. Indeed, and in truth, in truth. It's genuine. It's defined by God's word. And then our Lord says in verse 35, when we love one another as he has loved us, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world is going to see your love for one another and they will know that you belong to me, that you're mine, that you're my followers. This is what will mark you out. And our Lord will say later in John 17, the world will know that the Father sent the Son by our unity, by our love for one another. Now, this is Pride Month. In Canada, and you see everywhere, increasingly, the pride flag. And when you hear people talk about this in the news, it's meant to signify love. It's meant to signify 
inclusion. And so when we see that flag, we're supposed to think, yes, love, love and inclusion. That's what that flag is supposed to represent, supposed to signify. And yet, at the same time, when we scratch the surface, and you don't even have to scratch the surface, it's right on the surface. We live in a society that is increasingly filled with hatred and exclusion and division. Now, one of the reasons for this is because love is not defined. The terms of inclusion are not defined. And they're always, it's always changing. And so we live in a time where everyone's talking about love and inclusion, but we find, you know, with every week it seems, there's a new way of hating. And we find, oh, I've, I'm guilty of hating now. And at the same time, we're living in a time where people talk about, you know, structures of oppression and structures of privilege. Some of that's real, some of it's imagined, but we can't distinguish the difference between the real and the imagined injustice. So it all feels like injustice. And so we're living in a time where people have no foundation, trying to live uh, on quicksand. And the result is that we are trying to relate to one another and trying to communicate to one another, I'm talking in society and the world out there, in a way that that just gets reduced down to, you know, virtue signaling. And then we find we're guilty of microaggressions. These are the terms that that are floating about. And the result is kind of a, a weird, a bizarre combination of vindictiveness and victimhood, of total conviction and certainty and then total confusion. That's darkness. It's darkness. And we see that the effects of a society where people are lost in sin. And the result is, people don't know love. And there's a sense for many people, they, they, what they're trying to articulate in all this is that they are rejected. They do feel rejected. They do feel excluded. But the answer to that is not walking down the street and seeing a rainbow flag and thinking, oh, everything's okay. Because they know it's not. But what they need is the love of God in Christ for sinners. And when they meet that love, it's a love that calls them to repentance. It's a love that calls them to renounce their sin. It's a love that calls them to turn away from all that, but it's a love that calls them to Christ. It's a love that calls them into the truth of who who they are, the truth of their sin. What Jesus is saying here is, when you love one another, the world will know. The world will see. And so, yes, we do need to diagnose the darkness We do need to expose the works of darkness. But first and foremost, what our Lord is telling us is that by our love for one another, the world knows. And we can only expose the works of darkness if we are shining with the light of Christ. And we are not shining with the light of Christ if we don't love one another. A cleverly worded tweet or Facebook post is not the light shining into the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. 
When you love one another, then the world will see. Then the world will know. And so as we come to the end of Pride Month in this next week, it's as we love one another that we show the world what love is. And as we love one another in deed and in truth that the world will know. And now we come to the Lord's table. And as we come to the table, I want us to be thinking about Peter. That's where our passage ends with Peter. Peter's confident, zealous. I'm going to follow you. And our Lord says to him, no, Peter. In fact, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. But Luke tells us that when our Lord made that prediction to Peter, that this is what's going to happen, he also said this, Luke 22, 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Do you know that? The Lord Jesus is praying for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, yes, you will deny me three times, but when you have returned again, when you have repented, strengthen your brothers. And we'll come to this chapter, the end of the gospel, where Jesus is sitting with Peter at another meal, breakfast, and he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? But that threefold question restores Peter after his threefold denial. And then he simply says to Peter at the end of that, follow me. And so we come to the Lord's table every Sunday. And there is a sense where our Lord asks us coming to this table, do you love me? And we come in repentance and we come in faith and we say, Lord, you know we love you. And then we hear the command of our Lord, having come to this table, follow me. Go out into the darkness. Don't, not, not as Judas, but go out into the darkness as those who love one another. And having received my love in this meal, love one another. And as you love one another, the world will know that you are my disciples. Let's come to the Lord's table.